0: Peace, grace. This is Pastor Colton Lott from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, El Reno. We have the privilege of building Christian community in El Reno for the world. And so if you care about building Christian community or El Reno or the world, we're glad you're listening to this podcast. If you want to help contribute to the gospel work of this congregation, please visit our website, fcclreno.org, and go to the Give Online tab. And now, here's the sermon for the week. Today's scripture comes to us from Acts 1, 15 to 17, 21 to 26. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Together, the crowd numbered about 120 persons and said, friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed two, Joseph, called Bersabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them and the lot fell on Matthias and he was added to the eleven apostles. May God have blessings to the readings of these words in every time and in every place. Would you pray with me? Holy God, speak through these words again. For they are living, living because we share them together in the light of your Holy Spirit, guiding us and sustaining us and ringing true even today. May it be so. Amen. So when I was young, my brother played soccer. I tried, I was the first one in my family actually to play soccer, but with my low speed, low stamina, and low foot-eye coordination, I made a triple threat from which I could never recover. (laughs) But Chase could play, which is no real surprise, Chase has been able to play just about any sport, uh, and been quickly the best on the field. Ask me later about what that did for my self-esteem. Chase so enjoyed soccer that he played fall and spring. My dad was the coach most of the time. Which meant that all of us, not just Chase and dad, on Monday evenings could be found at the Boys and Girls Club. Sometimes I would read or slog through homework. Sometimes I would gossip with the parents, which made me even more of an old soul as a precocious child. But often, I would try to help my dad, which mostly meant I was in the way. But he said I could help him coach, and that meant doing whatever he asked me to do. Now, this was a few years before uh, municipal sports had just really fallen apart and everything turned hyper cutthroat in all travel teams all the time. And so we didn't have a phrase for it like they do now. But we would probably say that I was the little league junior manager. (laughs) Which means that one day, we were at the field, my brother and me and all of the players, everyone except my father. I can't remember the details now. I don't know if he was sick or late or wasn't coming at all. But the message got to me that I was supposed to start practice. So I started them with a game that I remembered playing and loving during my brief and uneventful season, which is trying to kick soccer balls up over the back of the net. Very hard to do, especially for tiny people. Um, It's a lot like trying to roll a ball up over a slide. Very hard, very fun. Later that night, I was debriefing my foray into coaching with my dad, relishing the experience of getting to do the same thing my dad did. And I told him proudly about this opening exercise, and he was not pleased. It's unuseful. He didn't care that my little league coach allowed us to do it. He kind of thought Coach Tim that I had was an idiot anyway. But it seems helpful, I protested. It's, it's important. It's, it, it teaches them how to, to have a, a strong kick. It might be fun, my dad conceded, but it would never, and I needed to understand this, never actually be a helpful exercise for playing the game soccer. Sometimes, as it turns out, That our first attempt in the driver's seat fails to achieve the results we intend. Today's reading from Acts 1 has been understood in a variety of ways. But for me right now, one reading is sticking out as important for us to pay attention to. And that reading sees Acts 1 as a failure story. Put a pin in that, we'll come back. If you were with us last week, you might remember that we were reading out of Acts 2, which is the Pentecost story. And today, at the risk of losing everyone entirely, we're going to go back in time, back to the scene before that story of the first church. A reminder of the schedule a little bit. Pentecost, 50 days after Easter. Easter, if you're new around here, is the day when we remember the resurrection of Jesus. And on Pentecost... 50 days later, we remember the reception of the Holy Spirit. The birth of the church as an empowered body of Christ that will persist in Jesus' mission even without Jesus' bodily presence. A ministry we continue today as the church. But in between Easter and Pentecost... 40 days after Easter, 10 days before Pentecost, something wild happens. Jesus leaves them. He ascends. He disappears. He escapes their presence. And he leaves them with a powerful last word. A new mission. In Acts 1.8 he tells them, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The book of Acts, the whole title of which is Acts of the Apostles, records two events which happen in those ten days. The first is prayer, which precedes every major event in Acts, and the second is officer elections. You can't make it up. There's a reason we are how we are. It's in our DNA. After praying in an upper room, which tradition holds is the upper room of the Last Supper, Peter calls together a congregational meeting. The church, the whole community of Jesus followers, numbered about 120 persons. Based on Peter's understanding of the Scriptures, his commission from Jesus his authority as the foremost of the apostles the one on whom jesus would build his church and of the community's need he decides they need to elect a replacement for judas that is the most important thing they can do so here's what i love about this story of matthias's election first it begins with prayer Which reminds us that the church is never just a human enterprise, not just another club, but a body which actively looks to and depends upon God. Second, Peter, as the leader, clearly states the qualifications that this person needs. Someone who has journeyed with Jesus from his baptism to his ascension. He is very transparent with the community that this leadership will have requirements Three, then, based on his qualification, the community proposes two, Matthias and Joseph Barsabbas Justice. You pick a name, it all works. Four, because there were two who were deemed qualified, the community didn't vote, which seems very hard to our American spirit. We always vote. But no, they cast lots. Roll the dice, because sometimes that's the best way forward when you have equivalent options. Flip a coin, move on, trust that God will show up in the process where God needs to show up. And five, for my church administration loving heart, is that the church has always had a structure. I think we often imagine that first church is populated by hippie-esque Jesus people who just were fueled on love and peace and were free from petty things like governance, man. But it has always been the case that some system was devised to empower the church through recognized leaders to continue on in this ministry. These are the parts of the story I love. But I've already tipped my hand That for this week I'm thinking of this story as a failure story A a cautionary tale Another whoopsie recorded Like so many others in the New Testament It's one of the best part about the Judeo-Christian Bible Is that in fact we record lots of failings But why do I think this is one of them? Mostly on this How many of you have heard about Matthias before today? If you're especially bold, you can put up your hand like Eli in the back. Is Matthias a household name in your family? Can anyone else tell me where in the New Testament you would find Matthias? It's Acts 1 and Acts 1 only. It's a bit of a dirty trick. You can't find him. This is his cameo appearance. Which isn't to say that Matthias is a bad guy. He knew Jesus. I'm sure he loved Jesus. I bet he was great. And that isn't to say that every leader in the world and every leader in Christendom from then to now has to be a Paul or a Peter, well known and celebrated by the church universal. Many people make one-off, one-time appearances in the New Testament. But also, from our own experience, We know many, many quiet servants who may never show up in the newspapers or in the annals of history, but have showed us time and time again the way of love and are worthy of being counted as leaders. For me, the failure isn't on Matthias in this story, but rather with lovable, often just shy of the mark, We'll do it and ask questions later. Peter. In his first foray into coaching, I'm not really sure that Peter has really thought about this new mission that he's been given. This mission of being witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He hears witnesses and thinks we got to do it the way we've done it. And thinking about this story, the celebrated church historian and theologian, Justo L. Gonzalez, outlines that their failure to wait on the gift of the Holy Spirit made the disciples preempt the authority of that spirit by focusing on matters of church structure instead of the new mission to the Gentiles to the ends of the earth. If they had only waited 10 days, they might have had a different solution to their problem. The problem is that the apostles sought to choose one like themselves, somebody who had been with Jesus from his baptism to his ascension. And the reality is that the Spirit rarely works that way. As the rest of Acts will make clear, it is the unlikely choices and the unlikely candidates who will be leading the church from next to next. In other words, in his panic, in his debut, Peter simply replicates what he already knows instead of waiting, wondering, And then leading the body of Christ where God is calling the church next. Today we're starting a new worship series entitled Church Work, organizing for mission and ministry but this week and the next two we are spiritually preparing ourselves for the restructure team to reveal their suggestions in the coming weeks about how we should organize our congregation for mission and ministry for you know church work our restructure team is made up of Cindy Baker, Bryson Bollinger, Jan Kreider, Cynthia Jensen, Merle Mahan, Roger Reinhardt, Christina Sharp, Travis Wilson, and Pastor Tara and me with help from Robin Glenn. The long cultural shifts, the changes in church life across the nation, and as our own story in this congregation is telling us, it's time for something new. It's time for something old, but a little different. Not so that we can do less but so that we can do even more to join in the Jesus mission as we know it, building Christian community in El Reno for the world. As Jamie Gray put it, the point is not that we are busy, but that we are fruitful. In moments of crisis, we often do what Peter did, we fill spots, we run the programs, we do the exercises, we play the games we think are important, the ones that might be, must be useful, because it builds powerful kicks or something like that. And then what we feel, what we learn might have felt productive was actually just being busy and not being fruitful. Fruitful. when I was in Puerto Rico a few weeks ago we had significant business with five disciples congregations there and each time we asked them what's your congregation like and each time their face changed and it had that familiar pain and fear and sadness and exhaustion as they replied before or after the pandemic I said that And I tell you this because I want to be clear. COVID is not what is causing us to restructure our congregational governance, our organization, our system, our structure. But it certainly is an accelerant to trends that were already true. And we don't know what this congregation will be like and look like after the pandemic because we're not after the pandemic yet. The longest we've had between the waves of OG COVID and Delta and Omicron is like six or seven months. And I was getting discouraged about in-person sanctuary attendance until I realized that before that Delta and that Omicron wave, we had been rebuilding consistently until we got knocked down again. Which is my way of reminding you that this isn't a solution to a perceived problem around COVID. Because we're still picking up steam in this marathon, marathon, ultra-marathon, hyper-ultra-marathon that was never going to be a sprint. But even more so. It's time for us to restructure so that we can align with God's mission in 2022 and the church that is next. The mission that God calls us to. Next. The big board with functional committees or task forces isn't in fact biblical, friends. It's GM, as in General Motors, which was a great solution for organizing the equipping people in 1950, and some things are absolutely the same in our human lives, but some things are different, and it's time for us to update the 40. certainly there too. We've always had a heart for children and youth, still do. And we didn't have any less of a heart for children or youth or their families when our preschool ceased to function as a visible ministry. It was a ministry that served its duty and did it well. And our commitment to children, youth, and their families had to take a new form, but we see it in our lives, not just here. What it means to recalibrate as we figure out a new way forward, as jobs change, as families grow, as marriages occur, and even as divorces happen. We make it up as we go, we figure it out, and we live into where God is calling us next. In this season, I've watched many of you figure out what retirement feels like. Are letting go of part-time jobs or part-time responsibilities in retirement. Many of our families in this church have transitioned to have a parent that now works exclusively at home or is simply a stay-at-home parent. At least three of our families have undergone that big change, which is echoing changes we know in society as labor is changing around us. The world seems scary and different. And yet, through faith, we know that God is there. After Pentecost, things will change for Peter. As we get into next week, the growth of the church means that everything that they thought they knew was wrong. The ones who were enemies will end up being co-workers and the ones they considered indispensable are going to slip into the background but through it all the witness of being of the witness of Jesus that mission he calls them to doesn't change but the organization the church learns it adapts it's flexible it even will break the mold that Jesus has given them of the 12 apostles they let go of that mold so that they can grab on to what's coming next. May we remember that when we let go, it's so that we can have an open hand to grab on to where God is calling us next. Amen.